So the plan for tonight is actually, I'd like to talk about um, a realm of Buddhist practice, which is actually relatively new to me. Um, it's something I've known about intellectually for a long time, but um, which I haven't actually personally connected to until pretty recently. Um, it's broadly speaking, um, it's what's called uh, Lojong. It's a Tibetan um, tradition. Um, Lojong is translated as mind training. It was developed back in the 12th century by a uh, Buddhist monk named Atisha, and then was um, adopted by Tibetan Buddhist teachers and has become a core part of their um, Buddhist training system. Um, it, the Lojong training system um, consists of 59 different slogans that um, practitioners are exhorted to sort of think about, memorize, and keep in mind um, as they practice. Um, and I'm not gonna get into the system, don't worry, but, to, but within, within that system, along with these 59 different slogans, which I think over the next year, I will touch on some of them from time to time, some of the slogans. Um, but along with the different slogans, like an example is, uh, if you encounter an obstacle, make it your path, be grateful to everyone, things like that, um, uh, are two different meditative techniques or practices. The first one's called shamatha vipassana. Shamatha means calm, vipassana means insight. So it's a form of calm insight practice. It's actually basically what we do most of the time when we sit together. It's just mindfulness practice. Um, following the breath, being aware, being aware of thoughts, emotions, bodily sensations. Um, so that's one of the core practices that are part of the Lojong system. And all of that, of course, I've been very familiar with. Um, but the other practice is called Tonglen, which is translated as sending and receiving or giving and taking, or sometimes exchanging self for other. It's a practice that is so crucial to the Tibetan tradition, but which I personally um, just wasn't able, able to connect with in a real personal or visceral way until recently. And as is the case with so many of these practices, a time comes where you just, you kind of, something clicks and you kind of sort of see into what it's all about. And that actually happened recently for me with this practice. And so, um, so in a kind of like um, beginner's enthusiasm for what I've discovered, the, the potential of discovering this practice, I want to spend a little bit of time tonight introducing just bits of it. It's like, it's a practice I think uh, I'll return to at different moments over the course of the coming months. Um, so I'm not gonna like try to give a wholesale introduction to it tonight, um, but just a little taste of it. And, and also some remarks on how I think it's connected to um, sort of the, the, the purpose of Buddhist practice as a whole. Um, so um, 
so don't don't worry it's not going to be like a lecture you know really this as is you know the case with most of these evenings it's going to be practice centered um and and lighter on talk so um so what i'd like to do is let's just begin with some of the shamatha vipassana practice um or just based just sitting mindfulness practice as we've done it just to get settled into the evening then i'll say a little bit about Konglen what it is, why I think it's important, um, and we'll give it a try. And then we'll open the floor for people to share their, what the experience was like and ask questions about it if they want to. Okay, so um, so on in Zoom land, is the sound okay, everyone? Cool, awesome, thank you. So please just get in a comfortable position um, to sit for, I don't know, five to 10 minutes. And I think the key things to look out for are a, a straight but not rigid back and a soft and open front side so that your belly and chest can move freely. And as we settle into the sitting, I encourage you to take a few deep breaths, breathing deeply into the body. You might even visualize the breath being drawn into your spine, feel the spine inflate like a long, thin balloon. And that will help your back become aligned. Sometimes I like when I'm breathing into the spine in this way to actually elevate my shoulders artificially high. It kind of helps the upper back find a natural alignment. And then when you exhale, just let the shoulders drop, supported by the dignified uprightness of your back. Just a couple more deep, slow breaths. And now let the breath find its own rhythm, no longer artificially elongating it, manipulating it any way. Let the breath come and go at whatever speed and depth it naturally wants to. And please bring your awareness to the sensations of the breath. And that can be the sensations of the breath passing through the nose, the soft tissue in your nostrils. Or it could be the rise and fall of your chest. Or the movements of your abdomen or belly, whichever place feels most natural and easy for you to feel the breath. And just let like 25, 40% of your awareness be on the breath. You want a light touch on the breath. You don't want to hold tightly to it.
And that means that you'll still be able to hear sounds around you, feel the sensations of the body as a whole, and notice what thoughts and emotions are coursing through the mind. But keeping at least part of your awareness on the breath ensures that you're here now in the present. And when thoughts pull you away so that you lose track of the breath, you forget about the breath completely for a little while, just notice that your mind has been pulled away. Acknowledge that by saying, thinking silently to yourself, no matter what kind of thought it is. And then gently and without judgment, Bring your awareness back to the breath. And you'll have to do this over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with it. Remember that there is nothing wrong with thinking, even very active thinking. The point of this practice is not to make us stop thinking, but just to loosen the grip that thoughts have upon us. So when we get pulled away by thought and notice that, and then return to the breath, far from being an error or a problem, something that we should try to do as little as possible is actually the central event of meditation practice. That's what mindfulness is, is noting when we get caught up in thought and then gently returning to the present.
one particularly important kind of thought to be on the lookout for when we're meditating are thoughts about how meditation is going, expectations of how it's supposed to feel, judgments about how we're doing, whether good or bad. Take note if thoughts about how this session is going are operating in the background, judgments about how you're doing, expectations of how it will feel or should feel. And when you notice those, and they can be very subtle, though not always, Again, the instruction is just to say thinking and return to the breath. Okay, that's good for this opening meditation. So, just want to say a few words about what Tonglen practice is. Um, so, essentially, it is a practice in order to cultivate compassion and open the heart. I think um, essentially that's what Buddhism is all about. Um, it's about opening the heart, realizing our connectedness with others, um, getting over ourselves uh, and our self-centeredness. Um, I was reading something that Norman Fisher, the Zen priest, in the San Francisco Zen Center tradition said about this Lojong tradition. He actually wrote a book about it called Training and Compassion, um, which is a kind of commentary on the Tibetan, this Tibetan method from the perspective of a Zen practitioner. And um, one of the things that he said is that the real virtue of the Tibetan tradition of Lojong and practices like Tonglen is that they really tackle head on um, this goal of cultivating compassion. Um, Zen, like all Mahayana Buddhist traditions is also about cultivating compassion, opening the heart. But um, 
but in its sort of um, anti-theoretical bent, its desire to really like strip things down and only talk about what's essential and necessary, uh, actually neglects to talk much about compassion. And Norman Fisher actually said that he believes Zen is deficient in this, in this category. Feels like um, given what it actually wants to do, it, it, it should talk more explicitly about the cultivation of compassion. Um, I tend to agree, and it's one of the reasons why I've incorporated things like loving kindness practice into my teaching. Um, and I've actually, I think that the truth is that one of the things that happened to Zen in the United States is that most Zen teachers feel the same way, and almost all of them incorporate tradition practices from other traditions, which are explicitly about awakening the heart. So I don't think this is, it's, it's odd for Norman to say this. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a mainstream view now, but I think it's important um, to have out there. I think it's, um, and it sort of puts in a broader context why, you know, someone like me would want to take time with a, a practice that comes from a radically different tradition, you know, that, um, so, um, so what Tong Len is, is going to sound, I think, odd and maybe even perverse to some of you, because it really cuts against most of our, our natural like inclinations. Um, and you'll understand what I mean, I think in a second. Some of you I know, probably already know Tonglen practice, but for those of you who aren't and are hearing about it for the first time, you may inwardly go, really? You know. Um, so um, it involves essentially in meditation practice, taking on, trying to absorb the suffering of others, um, taking their pain upon yourself fully and giving them all that is good within you completely freely any pleasant feelings any peace any joy any happiness you give it away um, you do this synchronized with the breath you breathe in suffering and you breathe out all that feels pleasant and light and good within yourself, giving it away to others. Um, there, are, there are a few more details to how the practice is actually done, but this is the essential idea. Um, so um, it involves four steps. The first is what we just did, meditate, you know, just sort of, settle into open awareness for a little bit. The second is, and you can actually even just, you don't have to sit in a meditative posture, but you can try doing this internally as I start to describe it. You start visualizing as you breathe in and out with each inhalation that you're absorbing, drawing into yourself all the suffering in the world. Or you could think about a particular individual or a group of individuals, if you like. And the traditional instruction is to visualize the suffering that you're absorbing as hot, 
viscous, claustrophobic, unpleasant, like sticky, you know, like you're breathing in, like it's like um, an image of what psychic suffering might look like if you could see it. You breathe it in, visualizing that. And as you breathe out, you breathe out lightness, freshness, air, um, all that feels like airy and spacious. And so the first step is you just sort of imagine in this visual way, and like in a tactile way almost, the drawing in of suffering and the exhalation of peace and lightness. The third step of the practice is doing this with an individual, someone you know, and it's better if it's actually someone you know in real life and someone who you know is suffering in some way. Um, I think unless you're living a very sheltered life, you know someone, right? And you breathe in their particular suffering. It could be fear. It could be paranoia. It could be grief. Um, whatever it is. And as you exhale, you breathe out sending to them whatever it is that you think would make their condition better. So if it's grief, you might um, visualize sending them peace, you know, some kind of a subtle sensation. Um, or if it's anxiety, calm, you know. Um, if it's anger, maybe a soothing energy, whatever it is. I think it's really important that it be someone you know and that it be concrete and not an abstract imagined version of that kind of suffering. And then the final, fourth and final step of the Tonglen practice is then you visualize, and this is obviously gonna be imagined, but just all the people in the world who are probably sharing in this, this kind of suffering that your friend is, because it's very likely that that person is not the only person suffering in that way at this moment in the world. There are probably gonna be thousands, perhaps millions of other people throughout the world who feel something similar to what this person is feeling. And you then do the same, breathing in the collective suffering of all those people and breathing out whatever it is that would ease their pain. Um, what will what can often happen, and I speak from experience, and we'll try this in a second, it may happen to you, is that when you start trying to breathe in the suffering in this way, you'll balk, you'll say no. And that will probably be experienced as a kind of constriction or tightness, um, where even though in some sense you might say, this is just imaginary, I'm not, I'm not actually doing it, you know, like there's gonna be a resistance of some kind to actually even imagine yourself drawing in suffering in this way. Some of you may have already felt it even as I described this, you know. And then the practices, that constriction, that holding back, that tightness, you breathe in that, your own suffering. 
you, you, you make yourself the object of the practice. So you start to draw in your own suffering and breathe out to yourself, relief, openness, whatever it is you think that might help that. And then just as you are not the only person in the world holding back and tight in this way, you then take it to the next level, imagining all the other people who right now are withholding their hearts, closing themselves off to protect themselves in this way. And you draw that in and then breathe out whatever relief will be. Um, so this is not something that I think we are used to doing. Um, and I think it can do a number of things that are very powerful. Um, if you are able to actually engage in this kind of practice without holding back or not, maybe not holding back too long or for the whole time, you'll start to feel at one level, just your connectedness with other people, just your sense that I'm connected with a person that I'm, I'm in relationship to now in this practice, but also with just, I can, you can feel your connection with all these people in the world who are suffering this way. Because one of the worst parts of any kind of suffering is the way that it makes us feel alone and isolated. Um, even if abstractly we think, of course other people are suffering, our experience of it is solitary. And that's actually such a core part of what makes suffering so painful. But the other um, part of the practice, which um, is something, this is what clicked for me, um, is that uh, it really illuminates the way in which um, just I, mean, I guess this is sort of connected to what I just said, but it illuminates the way in which the basic problem we have is our sense of separation and aloneness. And this practice cuts right against the grain of that. It's sort of saying, we're not looking out for ourselves. We're giving ourselves to others. We're not holding on to what's good. We're giving everything that we have to have. What you discover though, is that by giving away, you get more of it, you know? I mean, that's, that's actually the deep truth. It's like, we're not actually like draining ourselves of all joy in life, but actually by open-handedly giving it all away, you end up feeling more of it. Of course, to do that with, as you know, the, the, as the inner motivation kind of spoils and essentially you need to experiment with like really feeling I'm giving it, I'm giving it all away. I'm really taking that pain on. And by taking other people's pain on, we're not consigning ourselves to misery, but actually opening ourselves to others. And so, which is the gateway to, to actual peace and joy. So it sounds so perverse and like masochistic, but it's actually the opposite. It makes us realize that the protective stance that we usually take is what causes us misery you know, and invites us to take a radically different stance, one that's not looking out for number one, right? 
So I think this is essentially what meditation practice is all about. It's always about this. Um, last week, um, someone in the class asked about, you know, am I really not supposed to engage in meditation practice with a goal in mind to become more peaceful or a better person or this? And I said, of course, that's what draws us to the practice. But as we engage in the practice, we start to learn and we need to learn. It's a hard lesson to learn. Actually, the best way to become the kind of person we want to be when we started practicing and by practicing, is actually to let go of all of our expectations and goals, you know, to do it without purpose. Um, but the reason is because if we don't do that, the meditation practice becomes a tool that the ego uses for its own reinforcement and betterment. And ultimately is actually about transcending our identification with this small sense of self. So this practice is just another way into that same ultimate goal, but it's just a much more potent one, as you can imagine, you know, it really will push one's buttons. Um, and I think it took me a long time, um, I think, to really feel my way into this. And, and but once I did, I, it was something amazing that I felt just like, when I was able to visualize drawing in the suffering of people I know, I could feel that kind of like initial instinct of holding back, like I didn't want to. And then as I eased into the practice, realizing that it was possible to let go of that deep investment in looking out for myself, um, which ultimately was liberating you know, in some profound way. Um, so, uh, so this is the practice. Um, are there any questions about it before we get, we try it a bit and don't worry, it won't be too long. This is I just going to do like a relatively short walking through the practice that we can do together. Um, and I'll also say, by the way, that the visualizing of the, 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 sticky, oozy, you know, um, for me, the, 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 the visual, I, I, it may just not be a very visual person. So the visualization for me never got very like vivid and, 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 and sharp. And so if it doesn't for you, nothing to worry about. It will, I think, start to get very vivid and real when you start visualizing, drawing in the suffering of someone, you know, in particular. Um, and I think that's where the body will start to say, oh, okay. Some of you, it will feel very, very vivid right away. But for some of you, it may not. And don't worry. Just, just, I think just getting the sense that you're drawing in suffering, breathing out lightness and air is good enough. Freshness, yeah. Um, are there any, anything that anyone wants to ask at this moment or, or just say? Bernie, I have a question. Can Hi, Savan. Yeah, good to good to good to hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, good to hear your voice as well. Um, my question is, you know, like, um, just just uh, I'm just wondering how, you know, like maybe there's no rigid answer to this, but how one should view uh, one's practice. Um, you know, like there is a sin a way a sin kind of tradition um, has a, developed and has a sin kind of practice, I suppose. Zen has a certain kind of way of doing things. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested in other kinds of traditions as well. And, you know, I try 
like meditation like you um you know like you have taught uh, for for a year or more now uh, but you know sometimes i get a little bit curious about other traditions and you know sometimes they feel like uh, you know like like i don't know how to view the practice sometimes you know like if i try too many things would i would i be swayed away in a sense uh, to not have um not not necessarily a utilitarian goal but like you know would would that be like just like trying too many things and trying something for uh trying sake um you know like and so this this sounds uh, like very interesting and you know like uh, uh but but again like i i always wonder like like you know how one should sort of explore different traditions how you incorporate like how do you like, you know do you, do you see more as a journey of exploration or you know I, i don't know i'm not asking my question very concretely but i hope you get my Um, I don't think there's a there's there's just not a, a simple answer to that Savannah. I think um it's a good question. Basically you're asking how can I how can I ensure that I'm not being materialistic, right? In my spiritual yeah. pursuits, right? And and I think we have to be awake to that as an ever present risk. Um but I think it's also something that we will probably inevitably do even if we're trying to avoid it. Um and the practice itself over time will show us when we're being genuine and when not um it may not at first it may be that we have to we do something for a little while and realize that, oh i was just being a tourist you know i was just being a souvenir collector you know um but then at some point you'll get a deeper insight into the practice you may realize oh now i see like how this can fit into my life and my practice in an organic way mm-hmm. so um I think um you know I think like Norman Fisher wrote an entire book on a Tibetan tradition and he actually believes that um you know it's this cross tradition conversations are really enriching that the very fact that he's coming from a different tradition allows him to see something that perhaps is really valuable and hasn't been seen by others who are just completely within that tradition. He's also written a book on the Psalms, you know, and and Jewish and Christian readers have really appreciated a Zen perspective on those ancient texts. Mm-hmm. Um but he's also practiced for a long time. You know, and I think um so I would say there's nothing wrong with with um exploring, but I think just as long as you try just asking yourself once in a while is this actually um is this just a grass is greener on the other you know mm-hmm. in the other yeah. yard or um is this is is this deepening something that i've already you know sense is is genuine and i think if you don't feel like you've come in contact with something i think you have i know from conversations with you then use that as your compass you know like what has already felt real to you and does that other thing enrich that um and i think if it doesn't feel at all connected then i think it's maybe not worth pursuing i think okay. it will it it's the things that will enrich are going to feel like it deepens both it's like it's both something new and yet gives mm-hmm. you deeper insight to what you're already familiar with i think that's one of the the ways i so this practice i think when it clicked when i talk about clicking it's really it's because i could sense that oh this actually is what i've been doing but now has a slightly different gate into the practice mm-hmm. i've already had um yeah it's interesting that you say that um you know it sort of felt like it didn't click at first and it clicked for you and so it's 
I'm, you know, obviously I cannot, it's, it's not something you can prove, but it's, it almost seems like it finds you in a sense. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. I think that's right. No. And yeah. I think not, not every practice is right for everyone. doesn't mean that the practice isn't good, mm-hmm. but it depends on where we are and who we are yeah. and not at every time in the life for an individual. It took me years to, to, to figure out the benefits of loving kindness practice. Mm-hmm. And it took me decades to figure out the benefits of Tonglen. So, um, yeah, Interesting. there's Thank no you. rush. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, let's just get into again, a comfortable meditation posture. And to begin, let's just follow the breath in the way that we were in our first sitting together. Feel the sensations of the breath all the way through each inhalation and exhalation. And now, as you breathe in, visualize yourself breathing in a viscous, dark, hot substance. And not just through your nose, but through every pore of your body. And imagine this as breathing in the suffering of the world. And as you breathe out with each exhalation, picture yourself sending out lightness, air, coolness, freshness. And try to synchronize this visualization with the natural rhythms of your breath. Taking in what is painful, constricted, full of suffering. And breathing out, sending out peace, lightness, joy whatever is in you that feels good, giving it away.
And now I'd like you to bring to mind someone you know who right now is suffering. And I like you to visualize drawing in this person's suffering into yourself in just the way that you were visualizing before. Whatever is causing them pain. Take it into yourself. And as you exhale, send to them whatever sensations or feelings would put them at ease and alleviate their pain and suffering. At first, the heart may balk and tighten up, resist. But see if you can allow the heart to become tender enough, open enough to send and receive in this way. And if not, Take yourself as the object of this practice, drawing in your own tightness and constriction and resistance and sending to yourself feelings of openness and peace. Breathing in suffering, breathing out relief. And now expand the scope of the practice by visualizing, imagining, 
all the other people in the world who are suffering in the way that either the person you brought to mind is suffering or perhaps in the way that you yourself are suffering right now. For none of us are alone in our pain. It is shared by so many. Draw that shared suffering in. And breathe out, sending to all these people you're imagining peace and relief, lightness and air. And if you feel that your heart has become tender or raw, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a sign that your practice is working well. Your heart is opening, softening, becoming tender to the suffering in the world. Breathing in what is painful. Breathing out happiness, joy, peace. And then now, just let your awareness return to the breath without the visualizations, no longer engaging in sending or receiving. Just let the mind rest in the present moment. Feel yourself sitting here. Feel the breath coming and going. Okay, that's good for a first pass through this, first attempt.
Just take a moment, transition out of the practice. And I'd be very interested to hear if people have anything they're willing to share about how the experience was, the difficulties they may have felt, or the surprising, um, whatever, and any questions that people might have as well. Is anyone here or on Zoom? Um, Bernie, I, I have had some experience with Tonglen. And in my experience, from what I have learned, it was more specifically a pain, particularly a physical pain in my, in my respect, that, that I would bring in and touch, touch the pain, give it spaciousness, and then release it out. So that that your your explanation seems to be a lot more uh, involved, and I'm I'm interested in that very much. I'm guessing that there are variations, Stacy. I haven't heard of that one, but yeah. Um, thank you. Oh, yeah, sorry, Theo, would you mind coming to get this? Yeah, sorry. Um, I was just interested because I guess in the, just in the beginning for the initial session, I was sort of just, and when I'm trying to like calm down and get started, I'm sort of like imagine like comfort sort of, or like just like try to calm down the mind and like think of like, openness and stuff like that but then you were kind of getting at this with zen two weeks ago but also um with this practice of like actually like embracing discomfort and so i'm wondering like how i guess like yeah what you might have to say about that no i mean i think that's one of the reasons why this practice may sound perverse right um we meditate often we start meditating to feel calm and peaceful. So why would we um, actively open ourselves to um, discomfort? But, um, but I think, you know, one of the core things that, um, one of the things we start to learn is that the reason we feel that discomfort in the first place, the one that brought us to practice is because of our sense of separation, you know, from other people in the world. So it's not so much that like, the ego needs to calm down and become a calm ego, but that the ego itself is actually by virtue of being um, this separate entity is going to always be a source of suffering. I mean, that's, that's the core Buddhist insight. And so um, sort of shamatha vipassana mindfulness practice is really sort of seeing what constitutes the ego and by virtue of that, starting to become less identified with the thoughts and emotions. And so the grip of the ego softens, its barriers start to come down. This is just a different way to the same ultimate goal. Um, sort of really inverting the ego's priorities, which is always to look out for itself. 
and sort of inviting it to actually give itself up in service of others. And so, um, so they're all they're they're actually ultimately the same, so same path, just very very different kinds of techniques. Um, I think what's really useful about this one, and the reason I'm sharing it is because I think you can engage in sort of mindfulness practice to very high levels, um, go very deep into that practice, and yet still in some sort of ulterior way, be doing it for your own sake, you know, doing it for the sake of your own sort of feelings of calm and peace, um, and maybe even virtue, and, and even feel like, oh, I'm open to other people. But this, I think, sort of tests that, you know, and um, so I think it's a really useful practice to, to as a complement. Does that, does that, yeah, yeah. So it depends on your vision of what practice is all about, yeah. Anyone online? I, I, I found it very difficult because I think by its very nature, it, 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 it seems to require or at least encourage very, very slow breathing. And I found, you know, I was I was trying to do the the uh, imagining the suffering and, and the on the uh, inhaling and the uh, and the light on the exhaling, and it and you know the the images just didn't keep pace with my breath at all. Yeah. Um... I know what you mean. I think my breath actually slows down a bit as I as I do this practice. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know, John. It, it's just it may be some of the things where, like you know, with one one. I don't know if you have you done this practice before. No. So it's. I think it's one of these things where it may take a while to get the feel for it if you even think it's worth trying. Um, I think um, it's that synchronization. It starts starts to feel smoother. Yeah. Jim, did you have something you want to say? Yeah, hi, Bernie. Um, I had maybe similar to John, I maybe not, but I had difficulty sort of pivoting from breathing in the suffering and then immediately breathing out an offering of relief. And I think what I found that was helpful more towards the end was reminding myself that I could pause in between. And I found that really helpful to kind of really not just sort of speed through it, but really take in the suffering, let it settle, take a pause, and then shift into the exhale. Um, but prior to pausing, I was just feeling kind of, it was feeling more superficial for me. Yeah, that's that's great, Jim. I, I thank you. Yeah, I don't think I, just nothing to add to that. It's just um, it, it, we each have to find our, our own way into like, like making it feel real. Yeah. I noticed, um, like John and Jim said, that I had a lot of I had a lot of trouble transitioning from the images, the image of the viscous hot to the air and doing it quickly. And I found myself going like, <gasps> like holding my breath and then going out really quickly and having this, I was like kind of having a panicking. Um, but what helped was also is when I stopped thinking about, 
I think I was trying to imagine something viscous, hot, red. Like I was trying to imagine this like whole creature. And instead I just focused on one characteristic of it. So I focused on heat, breathing in heat as the suffering and then breathing out coolness or then breathing in something viscous and then breathing out something airy. And that focusing on one feature helped me a lot at the end. Yeah, this is all, it's all very interesting. I mean, I haven't lived with this practice like super long myself. I, I, at first, you know, it's interesting. I think um, when I was inhaling in suffering and then transitioning, I think what I noticed was a tendency to want to hold on to the suffering. I think one of the reasons why the, the instructions, traditional instructions are to move right from one to the other is it's almost training us to not become stuck on either, you know? Um, but I think getting the feel for that is something that may take a lot of time. Obviously, this is this is a very, you know, difficult practice. It's, it's um, not something that I would necessarily introduce people to meditation with, you know? Um, so I think maybe we can, I'm not going to do this a lot or regularly with the group, but it's like, it might be something we all do once in a while and sort of get the feel for over time. Yeah. I can also send out Pema Chodron's very good instructions so that people have it written out. So if you ever want to consult, um, Pema Chodron's the teacher who is probably most famous for it. Um, for sort of disseminating this particular practice in the United States. Um, yeah. Her book is called Start Where You Are. And it's 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 just a, it's a, goes through all the tongue, all the Lojong slogans. Yeah. Well, it's after 8:30. So um, I don't want to keep people long, but um, if it's traditional in this group for us to end with um, one minute of meditation before we say goodnight, because I like to end with silence rather than speech. So people would just um, in, indulge me and we'll just sit for a minute together. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here. Good night. Yeah.